everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Today I want to tell you the story of the day Peter became the devil. The disciples are heading toward Jerusalem. They think this is the big day after following Jesus for three years. Finally, we're going to enter Jerusalem. Jesus will get rid of the Romans and proclaim himself King of the Jews. So Jesus basically says, disciples, we need to talk. When I get into Jerusalem, they're not going to crown me. They're going to kill me. But I will rise three days later. Peter takes Jesus aside. Oh, no, they won't. They're not going to hurt you. And Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not on the side of God. You're on the side of men. That's the story. What I want us to do is learn all the lessons we can from the day Peter became the devil. Would you take out your Bible? Turn to Matthew chapter 16, and let's learn lessons for our own life from the day Peter blew it. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray for your Holy Spirit to come now and be our teacher. Where any of us have been the devil this week, we would pray you would help us turn like Peter did from his foolishness and to follow you. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Here's the first lesson I want you to learn. Jesus had a plan for his life. Jesus knew why God had sent him to the planet, to suffer. My question for you is, do you have that for your life? Do you know God's plan for your life? I went away to college many years ago to major in filmmaking. And I majored in filmmaking for a year, and I hated it. (laughs) And I had a dream. I won't go into the details, but it was kind of like God saying, I didn't call you to be a filmmaker. And so for two years during college, I prayed, okay, God, what is your plan for my life? And at the end of two years, I I won't go into the details, but God basically said, I want you to be a preacher. I didn't know I was going to be a preacher, but that was God's plan for my life. Do you know God's plan for your life? Jesus knew his plan. I kind of know God's plan for my life. Do you know God's plan for your life? If you don't, then pray about it. And say, God, what is your will for my life? And James chapter 1 promises, if you pray for wisdom in faith, he'll show you eventually anyway. Verse 22. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. Here's the next lesson. Beware of those who say suffering is not required. Peter's saying, Jesus, you're not going to suffer. You don't have to suffer. I saw it again this week 
one of these health and wealth prosperity preachers on TV. I'm, I'm claiming total healing over your life. I'm claiming total prosperity over your life. Disease and sickness and poverty is all from the devil. I'm claiming... <laughs> Beware of preachers who tell you you don't have to suffer in the Christian life. That's what Peter was saying to Jesus. And, um, you know, I will say this again. I think the perversion of the gospel in our day and age is that Jesus came to earth to make you healthy and wealthy. No, he didn't. Do you know why Jesus came to earth? Was to suffer on the cross for our sins to save us from hell. That's why Jesus came to earth. Paul the Apostle was beaten up and stoned, left for dead. And he says this in Acts 14, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And then <clears throat> near the end of his life, he writes 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, don't listen to these preachers who tell you, you don't have to suffer to be a Christian. I saw a Chinese preacher who's been in jail many times in China for the gospel, and he said this, quote, don't pray for an end to persecution in the church. Persecution, good for church. <laughs> well, it's, it's part of what we signed up for when we became Christians. Part of our life is to suffer. Look at verse 23. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not putting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Here's the next lesson. Sometimes believers are unconsciously used by Satan. I don't think Peter thought to himself, here, let me tempt Jesus to stay away from the cross. I, in fact, I think Peter thought he was being nice. But sometimes, without even knowing it, the devil uses us. L let me explain what I think is going on here. Three years earlier, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and Satan said, Jesus, just fall on your knees and worship me. I'll give you the whole world. And I think the temptation was, you don't have to suffer on the cross to earn the world. I'll just give it to you. And now here in this story, through Peter, Satan is saying, you don't have to suffer. And then even when Jesus was on the cross, they tempted him. If you're the son of God, prove it. Come down from the cross. And Satan was tempting Jesus to go the easy route. And the devil does the same thing to us. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to crucify our flesh. Flesh meaning our evil human nature we got from Adam and Eve. I'm supposed to crucify that? Beware of preachers. If you go to a liberal church and your liberal pastor tells you, it's okay to have an abortion. Premarital sex is okay as long as you love each other. Gay sex is okay as long. If you go to one of those churches that tell you you don't have to crucify your flesh, run from that church. Martin Luther said there are two kinds of preachers. One preaches the theology of the cross, meaning we're only saved by Christ's suffering and death on the cross, not by what you do. Preacher number two preaches something, the theology of glory. It's all about you and your success and your happiness. And I won't name him, but you can probably guess who I'm talking about. The pastor of the biggest church in the United States is on TV a lot now. And what does he preach? God's here to make you a winner. You can succeed. God's here to prosper you and to bless you. And, 
not, there is some truth in that, but that's not the Christian gospel. Jesus came to earth to suffer on the cross to save us from hell. The prosperity gospel does not preach in Eritrea. It doesn't preach in Afghanistan where Christians are in jail, losing their heads. The prosperity gospel doesn't work over there. One more lesson before we leave verse 23. Next lesson. Great heroes can make great mistakes. Just one paragraph earlier, Peter had been a hero. Jesus said, who do people say I am? But who do you say? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, God the Father has revealed that to you. In other words, good job. But in the next paragraph, he rebukes Jesus. That tells, tells me a great believer can make great mistakes and make them repeatedly. This is not the last time Peter will blow it. The famous blowing of it was uh, Maundy Thursday where he denies Jesus three times. That's not the end of it either. Years later, Peter withdraws from the Gentiles in Galatians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul has to rebuke Apostle Peter to his face. So the point is, great leaders can make great mistakes and make them repeatedly. <laughs> I had a man in my office who was talking about the forgiveness of sins once, and he said, you know, God has to work overtime on me because I sin so much. And I said, me too? We need forgiveness daily, hourly, minutely. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the good news about all this, if you've blown it like Peter blew it, God can still use you. But always do what Peter did. When he blew it, he'd always repent. If you repent, God can still use you. So let me just ask this question before we go to the next verse. Is there somebody watching this TV show? And the reason you're not serving the Lord is because the devil is telling you, you're not good enough to serve the Lord. You're not smart enough to serve the Lord. Well, what I learned from Peter is, you're right, Peter, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, serve me anyway, I forgive your sins. It, it, the devil gets a lot of people inactive by telling them, you know, you're not quite good enough yet, you're not quite smart enough, and, and that's a lie of the devil. We'll never be good enough, we'll never be smart enough, serve the Lord anyway. Let us look now at verse 24. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's the next lesson. Same lesson again. Suffering is required. You've got to pick up a cross to follow Jesus. Satan, again, will tempt you to go the easy route in life. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, come and die. Question is, are you and I willing to be nailed for Jesus? There was a man by the name of James Calvert in the early 1800s. He left England, sailed for the Fiji Islands, where he wanted to bring the gospel to the cannibals. When they arrive, the captain of the ship warns James Calvert, really, do you want to get off the ship? You'll lose everything, probably your life. And James Calvert responded, sir, I died before I left England. And gratefully, he got off the ship, and for 18 years, he brought people to Christ in the Fiji Islands. But are we willing 
to pick up the cross and suffer for Christ. It is said that in the tales of King Arthur, if a, if a soldier would come back from the battle, King Arthur would look over the soldier, and if he didn't see a scar, he'd push the soldier back out the door and say, go get your scars. I think that's what Jesus means by this verse. If you want to follow me, you have to pick up a cross. You need to be willing to be nailed for my sake. Let's look at verse 25. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for, life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Here's the next lesson. Be concerned about your eternal soul. Do you care where you spend eternity? A lot of people don't think about it. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church in the early 1700s. He got on his horseback and went all over England preaching the gospel. Wesley was a, an educated, cultured man. He loved the arts. He loved reading all kinds of books. He pretty much gave it all up to get on horseback. One day he is touring a, the mansion of an English nobleman. And the nobleman is showing him the furniture in this beautiful mansion, the manicured lawn and gardens out front. And Wesley said this, I too have a relish for such things. Ah, but there is another world. Be concerned about the next world. I, I know a pastor and he talks about what he calls eternity denying entertainment. And he means by that, when you turn on TV and you see all these gossip entertainment shows, would you ever dream Judgment Day is coming? That there's another world coming? <laughs> Satan lulls people to sleep through, the, through TV. Look at verse 37, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Here's the next lesson. The day of judgment is coming. I was behind a car with New Age bumper stickers, and they had the yin and the yang symbol. They had a bumper sticker, look within. And then they had a bumper sticker that said, non-judgment day is coming. <laughs> I passed a Methodist church founded by John Wesley and it said on the sign in front of the church, Wesley United Methodist Church, a non-judgmental church. Well, Jesus taught the judgment day is coming. Jonathan Edwards was the famous preacher of the first great awakening in the 1700s, Puritan preacher. He had a resolution, resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. I'm going to repeat that. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Edwards knew there was going to be a reckoning. There's a story of an atheist farmer who wrote a letter to the Iowa newspaper. Dear sir, I'm an atheist and my neighbors are Christians and they won't work on Sunday. So I tried an experiment. This year I planted all my crops on Sunday. And then I tilled the ground 
on Sunday. And I worked on those crops for months, all on Sunday. And then in October, I harvested my crop on Sunday. And I have discovered I have a greater yield and a better produce than all my neighbors, signed the farmer. They printed the letter. Underneath, though, the editor added a line, Dear Sir, God does not always settle his accounts in October. <laughs> the day of judgment is coming. All right, let's sum all this up. What's the main thing we learn <clears throat> from the day Peter became the devil? The answer is simul justus et peccator. That is a late Latin phrase meaning simultaneously saint and sinner, which means when you become a Christian, from then on you're always two things. You're always a saint and you're always a sinner. And the Christian life is to battle, is to kill the old nature in us. Martin Luther put it this way back in the 1500s. What does baptism mean for daily living? It means that our old sinful self, with all its evil desires and deeds, should be drowned daily through repentance, and that day after day a new self should arise to live with God in righteousness and purity forever. In other words, the Christian life is suffering to kill that old nature. I'll close with this. Way back in 107 AD, Ignatius is traveling to Rome to be killed. He writes the ch a church this last letter. All I pray is that the moment comes when the lions will be quick about it. Forgive me for writing like this, but I know what is best for me. No power, human or spiritual, must hinder my coming to Jesus Christ. So whether it be through fire crucifixion or wild beasts in the arena, I can bear it provided I know it is my way to him. So far as I am concerned, to die in Christ is better to the, be, than to be the king of the world. Do not try to tempt me to stay here by offering me the world and its attractions. Just let me make my way upward to that pure and undiluted light. In other words, Ignatius knew suffering is part of the Christian life. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, I guess my first question for you after talking about this is, does judge, judgment day happen when we die or at the end of time? Well, when you die, according to uh, Luke chapter 15, you either go to heaven or hell. So if you go to heaven or hell, why do you need judgment day? Well, there will be a judgment day at the very end to determine our rewards. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about two men, Christian men who have the foundation of Christ. One goes into heaven with great reward. One goes to heaven because he had Christ, but he loses his reward. So, you know, Jackie, I, judgment day happens at the very end, but I do think you go to heaven or hell immediately nevertheless. Okay, so that's what happens on Judgment Day. Ba basically, what happens at the very end, all the dead are raised, and we stand before the throne of Christ, and he judges us. Okay. Those who trusted him go to heaven. Those who reject him go to hell. And then our deeds, even though we're not saved by good works, but only by the grace of God, he does look at our works, and we are judged by our works, whether we really believed in him or not. Okay. If we're forgiven in Christ, will God bring 
a person's on Judgment Day then? Yeah, you know, some people have this belief that on Judgment Day, God puts up a big screen and he shows everybody all the sins we've ever committed. <laughs> it never says that. But the be you want to read Romans chapter 2, where Paul deals in detail with Judgment Day. And it's basically God will judge us according to our deeds. The deeds show whether we really trusted Christ or not. But I think if you've repented, like I don't think God's going to bring up with St. Peter, you remember the day you denied me three times? He doesn't need to bring it up because Peter's repented of it. It's been forgiven. Okay, I guess I'm still a little confused though. How does a person discover God's plan for their life yeah. and their career? Yeah. I mean, like I was going to be a filmmaker and God totally turned me around. Okay. The way I discovered that, Jackie, was by continual prayer. And I got to admit, I remember it was driving me nuts for two years. I didn't know what God wanted me to do with my life. Finally, he made it clear. And so I would just say to someone, if you don't, well, I'll, uh, if somebody, for instance, God, should I marry this woman or this woman? Well, if you're a Christian and, and woman number two is not a believer, the Bible makes it clear we are not to marry unbelievers. So some things are clear, but some things you just got to pray through. You know, it's funny you answered it that way because my next question was going to be, how does a person know who God wants them to marry? To marry. And yeah, and even we could go a little further. Does God want me to be married at all? Because 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul says, if you can handle being single, that gives you more time to serve the Lord. So you got to ask that question first, but then, okay, I think the Lord does want me married. And so, Lord, who is it? And, and my, my response is make sure if you're a believer, you don't marry a Buddhist, you don't marry an unbeliever, you marry a Christian. Okay, Pastor Brock, you know, you hear preachers that are teaching that sickness comes from the devil mm -hmm. and that Christians can claim healing over all illness. Yeah. Is this true or is this There's a one of our... Here's the truth in it. We have a healing God who loves to heal people. And when you're sick, you should do what James 5 says, get the healing oil of the, of the elders, pray for healing. Often God heals us. In fact, Jackie, you're still alive. I'm still alive. Think of all the times God has healed us. So it's overwhelmingly true that God loves to heal people. It's also true he likes to take people home and give them the ultimate healing, which is called heaven. So yes, you can have cancer, die, and be in full faith. Nothing's wrong with your faith. Okay. Jesus said that faith will move mountains. Mm -hmm. So if a person is sick, shouldn't they believe that God will heal them? Well, I'm going to throw a couple of verses at you. Elisha okay. in the Old Testament. Oh, in the Old Testament. He raised, he raised the dead. Nothing was wrong with Elisha's faith, but it says, now when Elisha became ill of the illness of which he was to die. So Elisha died of an illness. New Testament, Timothy. Paul says, Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your frequent stomach ailments. He doesn't say, Timothy, where's your faith? He doesn't say, name it or claim it. He doesn't say, I claim total healing over you. He says, take your medicine. So I do think it's possible for the Lord to take you home that way. Yeah. Okay. Where were our souls before we were born? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you said that... A lady you know, wrote in with a question as, before we're born, where were we? Yeah. I'll tell you that the Bible would teach you didn't exist before you were born. You were in your mother's womb. Before your father uh, impregnated your mother, you didn't exist. We're finite creatures. The Mormon church, which is a cult, teaches that 
everybody has existed forever. So before, but Jackie, you were born. You, well, I, 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 let me clarify that. I don't know if they teach everybody exists forever because they don't believe God existed forever. The Mormons believe God became God on another planet. He was a man. So it's a strange religion. But Mormons believe we were in heaven before we came down to earth. Problem with that teaching, it's nowhere in the scriptures. I was just going to say that's a hard one for me to grasp no, or even to think about. No, because it's not in the Bible. And Jackie, I've got to say this. If you're a Mormon out there, I mean, people say, oh, the Mormons, they're so wonderful. They're so, you know, they're such uh, family-centered, wonderful people. Okay, what they do with Jesus is wrong, but other than that, it's a wonderful religion. Well, Jackie, that's like saying, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like the play? <laughs> what they do with Jesus is very wrong. Mormons believe in thousands of gods, and you can become a god someday to get the a universe to worship you, just like our god was a man on another planet and attained godhood. It's not a Christian religion. Okay, a Lutheran college, name, namely St. Olaf, yes, indeed. is singing a Buddhist cantata at... Minneapolis Orchestra Hall. Yeah, lady wrote me on this. Yeah, it was in the paper. Yes. What are your thoughts on I this? I think, if I may be blunt, it stinks. I would, I, I'm a Lutheran. I would send no one to our Lutheran uh, ELCA colleges, St. Olaf, Concordia Moorhead, Augsburg, Gustavus Adolphus. These, ra these colleges have become radical, very pro-gay, very pro-transgender, very pro uh, there's many ways to get to heaven. What's a Lutheran college doing promoting Buddhism? Do you know the head of the St. Olaf Bible Department uh, some years ago was a Hindu? All right, you know, it, it's just, it, 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 those colleges were founded to promote Christianity. I was gonna say, how could St. Olaf even bring somebody that yeah. was of the Hindu faith I, to I know. be a... It's, it's falling apart, or as one woman put it, and I like this, things are falling together for the end of time. <laughs> well, you, you know, that's an interesting thought. You don't often think of it that way. She's no. probably ahead of us in <laughs> the right way. Yeah. So should a person always follow their conscience? I was, <clears throat> I was, I met a man recently. He's kind of new age. And uh, I was trying to share Christ with him, but he says, well, I've, I follow the voice within. And he does meditation and and we kind of got into it some, but my question for him would be, how do you know that voice from within is from God? How do you know it's not your evil human nature that you got from Adam? How do you know it's not the devil? So do you always follow your conscience? No, you know, often the Lord speaks to us through our conscience, but sometimes our conscience can be so, become so corrupt, we, we shouldn't follow our conscience. That's why we've got to read the Bible. Well, we want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God will be with you, granting you his richest blessings each day until we meet again next time. Thanks, and amen. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? you may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by The Pastor Study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, 
pastorstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week. <music>